James Harden may have inadvertently shown NBA stars how to increase their leverage. Plus, we're taking a deep dive into what's behind MLB's record low World Series numbers. It's Wednesday, November 1st. Happy Dia de los Muertos. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The James Harden trade may show how NBA stars have a new form of leverage due to the league's new rules. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports writer Doug Greenberg. Welcome, Doug. Hey, Owen. Thanks for having me again. Uh, yep, James Harden on the move again. Who who would have thought? You know, uh, <laughs> I'm sure James Harden being traded is just like an NBA regular season thing at this point. Right. Yeah. Probably like some publications just have you know like an article ready to publish that's you know they just fill in some details um, for the next James Harden trade. And, you know, you can start writing the next one now. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So on Halloween, the Clippers said trick or treat, and 76ers said here's James Harden. Um, in return, the 76ers are getting a bunch of picks and players and future cap space and listeners. The internet has no shortage of deep dives on the details here. So you can look those up if you're curious. Uh, where I want to focus with you, Doug, is how uh, yeah, how the NBA's new load management rules might have pushed this into something that was being talked about for much of the summer into something that was actually happening. Yeah, well, the load management rules, like obviously that's been um, it's been a big point of contention for the league for a while. You know, they they caught a lot of flack from fans who showed up to see their favorite players only for those favorite players to then be sitting out uh, because they wanted to manage their bodies. Um, if it's it's kind of a form of the uh, player empowerment that we've seen in the last couple of years. And so they implemented these new rules this year. Uh, you know, teams get fined if they have players who meet a certain criteria sit out from a game. Um, and it's really interesting because it almost seems like in this situation, and this, I guess, is sort of setting the precedent for it, it, it actually ended up being, you know, something that would have been taking away some player empowerment, maybe ended up having some other, like, actually encouraged some player empowerment in a completely different way. Um, because in this case, you know, Harden did not want to play for the 76ers. He made that very clear over the summer. And, you know, uh, by, by the, you know, how the way the league used to work is Harden could have sat out and the 76ers could have been like, all right, fine, whatever. Like you're just losing game paycheck. You're just losing game paychecks, whatever. But now the Sixers, you know, might have been starting to see some some pretty hefty fines because Harden was sitting out because he meets this criteria. And they also have Joel Embiid, um, who, you know, would, would fall under this criteria as, as a star player. So suddenly the 76ers are sweating a little bit. They just, you know, they, they maybe were like motivated to get this going and moving. So they made a deal happen with the Clippers, which apparently is where Harden wanted to go. Player empowerment once again. Uh, and and now it's a done deal, and Harden's on his way to LA. Yeah, and that, that Embiid part of it is important because some of these load management rules, and again, you can, listeners, look up the details if you need, but the, it matters if you have more than one player who fits these star criteria, and therefore, um, and you can't rest them at the same time in, in a lot of situations. And Embiid's a guy who's played, you know, 60-something games the last two years, one of the most valuable players in the NBA, more valuable than James Harden, they need to keep him fresh more than they need James Harden. And so, but Harden is, was making that harder uh, by, by sitting out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to lead to some interesting situations. I mean, I'm thinking of um, this didn't ever get to 
the James Harden, Daryl Morey level of feud, but Damian Lillard wanted to get traded, um, specifically to the Heat. He ended up going to the Bucks, of course. Um, but he could have put the the Blazers in a similar situation if they didn't trade him. They could say, okay, uh, I'm sitting out, and the team gets the fine. Um, you know, it's good. there's going to be nuances in every situation, but it does feel like there's a new form of leverage for star players who already had a lot of le- leverage. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the Lillard situation and the Harden situation are a bit different. Also because Damian Lillard was way more patient with the trailblazers than Harden has been with any of his teams. Um, except for maybe, except for maybe the Houston Rockets, he was there for a while. Um, but since then, you know, he, he has jumped around from, you know, Houston to Brooklyn to Philly and now to LA. Um, which, and, and of course the irony is that the Oklahoma city thunder team where he, you know, is now back reunited with Russell Westbrook. Um, that team was probably the best team he's ever played on. And, and, and here we go again. Like he, he's, it was just this impatience, right? So, um, Harden is definitely one of the premium examples of player empowerment and maybe not being the most, uh, palatable thing in this day and age but it it is what it is you know the nba is is a really powerful league and it's driven by star power it's what's made it one of the most marketable leagues in the in the in the world um the only three billionaire athlete or three out of the four billionaire athletes are nba players or former nba players magic johnson lebron james michael jordan and then tiger woods from golf so you know it's no wonder that players have as much power as they do yeah. yeah, and just to touch on the trade one more time before we go here, the Clippers are all in. They've got Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, um, and uh, now James Harden, which is not really going to be possible next year. Or like the, the new CBA is going to make that difficult to construct a team around three big stars. And the 76ers, now two years in a row, have gotten out of a very difficult situation with a star guard um, and now kind of can, you know, look to a brighter future. Of course, they'd swap Ben Simmons for James Harden. That was a whole thing and yeah now Harden's gone and um and they've got a lot of cap space and and they've got a still a contending team so if I'm a Philly fan which I'm not but if I was I'm I'm pretty happy here I will say for the Phil for for the 76ers this is probably great like they're probably not stressing it at all I mean they've they've got Tyrese Maxey who is a really really great guard so it's not like they are dying at guard now you know Harden was definitely a luxury for them but I think they're going to be just fine. And frankly, they don't have to deal with the headache anymore. Um, I know I did. Like, I wouldn't want to deal with the headache as a fan. So, you know, um, it, it'll be interesting to see if maybe the shoe finally fits for Harden in L.A. But, yeah, for the Sixers, uh, they got they got to be feeling pretty good about this right now. Yeah, for sure. Doug Greenberg, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Owen. Starting next year, the football field at Eastern Michigan University Stadium will be named after the Las Vegas Raiders defensive end and proud EMU alum, Max Crosby, after Crosby and his wife, Rachel, donated a million dollars to the school's athletic program. A donation like that is always welcome news for a university, but especially for EMU, which saw a $6 million pledge from the Power to Change Foundation in 2017 vanish in 2019 when the foundation decommitted itself from making that donation. Crosby's gift will go toward the second phase of EMU's championship building plan, which is still pending approval by its Board of Regents. The first phase included the construction of its Student Athlete Performance Center, which opened in 2019. Max and Rachel, who met at EMU, can afford that level of generosity. 
Crosby recently signed a four-year $93 million contract with $53 million guaranteed. We talk a lot about emerging sports and sports audiences on the show. Soccer in the U.S. is one, cricket and rugby in the U.S. are two others, pickleball is its own phenomenon, women's sports across the board are another big one, but maybe we've been missing one of the biggest, volleyball. On Sunday, Minnesota and Wisconsin played the most-watched volleyball match ever. 1.66 million households tuned in. The match was on Fox directly after their 1 p.m. NFL slot, which for some viewers was a Packers-Vikings game, so the back-to-back contest between the same two states surely helped. That said, it's not like there wasn't any competition for eyeballs on Sunday. There were other NFL games, NBA and NHL games, Premier League games, and a Formula One race. This is on the heels of a Nebraska-Omaha volleyball match in September, breaking the all-time global attendance record for any women's sporting event. I have long been of the opinion that volleyball is an underrated television sport. The action goes at a quick but easy-to-follow pace, the rules are easy to understand, the team dynamics are very visible just from watching a match, and if you have good commentary, you can get to know the players very quickly. It's not like I called this moment that volleyball is having, but I'm also not surprised that it's happening. Up next, my colleague Eric Fisher joins to discuss Major League Baseball breaking a record it didn't want to break with its record-low World Series viewership. We look into how much of this is just the particular unavoidable circumstances of this series, and how much of this is a systemic issue for MLB. That conversation is coming up right after this. World Series viewership is hitting record lows. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports Newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So, yeah, as as I just said, we are uh, in uncharted territory for uh, World Series viewership. Uh, give us the story here. So uh, this was always going to be a bit of an uphill climb having this Texas-Arizona matchup. We knew that going in as soon as the uh, League Chan- Championship Series were completed. Uh, but this is honestly even a little bit lower than I was expecting here. We had a record low for a, a series opener uh, for Game 1. Uh, 9.17 million, and then shed about another million beyond that uh, for Game Two, which is the lowest uh, or least watched World Series game of any type uh, all time. Even worse than the numbers that we saw during the depths of the pandemic in fall 2020. Uh, you know, and it's a tough thing here. I think there's a number of reasons at play here. Uh, again, we're you got a situation given the geography. There's not an inherent reason for the eastern half of the country to tune in, given that we've got a, a central uh, um, uh, uh, U.S. team and then Arizona being even further west. Um, so everybody east of the Mississippi, you know, they're they're sort of shut out on this one, um, and not a lot of name brand stars uh, among the top twenty. Um, uh, Jersey sellers among MLB players this year. We only had one player from either team, Corey Seager, coming in at number 14. And, and, and lots of great players on, on both teams, talent-wise, but nobody that remotely hits a Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, Ronald Acuna Jr. kind of fame. And so uh, getting a casual fan to tune into this thing, it's just been really, really tough. Um, and then just one additional factor I'll throw in here. I'm in the New York area and it's been a very wet fall and particularly on the weekends. Uh, but Friday and Saturday night where we had game one and game two, uh, no rain for the first time. It felt like uh, on a full weekend around here in a long, long time. And I was out briefly Saturday before uh, game two started and there were cars everywhere. And I think there was a little bit of cabin fever there that, you know, it's just been 
you know, a, a rough go for people wanting to go out to dinner, do things, what have you. And a lot of people in the eastern half of the country were taking advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. And when you said, you know, there's only one top 20 jersey seller in the series, I, I pause for a moment. I didn't think of Seeger in time before you said it. But yeah, there's no name that just but jumps see, that's, off the that's page That's my here. point. You, you even had to think about who it might be. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's not, wouldn't be DeGrom. I don't think it'd be Semyon. Like, Adelise Garcia is not quite there yet. And I was like, who, who's that? Like, maybe Zach Gar- Allen. Garcia, uh, maybe Scherzer. But, you know, a- again, we're sort of on the fringes here. I'm kind of of two minds here. One, all the factors you said, not ideal matchup viewership wise, time zone wise, even the weather. At the other hand, I feel it's just making me feel like the regular season, huge bump in viewership and attendance feels a little bit like a dream right now because there was this ongoing downward trend uh, that MLB had been dealing with for, you know, something like seven years prior, you know, obviously COVID being its own thing, but even before that, uh, there is this downward trend and the regular season in 2023 was this, you know, burst of sunshine, this big reversal yep. around that. And now we get to this playoffs where it feels like we're back to the previous trend. How much are you waiting that trend versus just, you know, all, all those um, factors, individual factors to this year uh, when you kind of try to parse this all out? Well, the playoff games relative to prior playoff games have been crisper. Those same trends sort of follow that playoff games take longer than regular season games. You've got more tension, more drama, more pitching changes. But compared to itself, these games have been crisper. And as we're taping this after game three, uh, you know, that game came in, I think, at 251 and was a crispy played fast moving game that those kind of uh, enhancements in terms of the pitch clock and larger bases and you know no extreme defensive shifts and so forth those things are all still coming into play it just playoff baseball does feel different and does articulate itself different than regular season baseball yeah yeah absolutely um and actually, let's look to next year where um, Major League Baseball, as we know, is in an ongoing shift in how it broadcasts local games. And MLB has said they are they could broadcast up to 16 teams. So just over half the league next year. What do we know here? Yeah, so we we had this fire drill situation with the Padres and the Diamondbacks where Diamond Sports Group, the bankrupt parent of Bally Sports, uh, rejected those rights as it continues its uh, Chapter 11 reorganization efforts. Baseball has already gone to the court saying, hey, we would like a clear read on what's going to happen. Who are you keeping? Who are you not keeping? Uh, But they're operating under... An, an assumption that it could be literally everybody that Diamond Sports Group, as it continues to go through this bankruptcy and potentially head towards Chapter Seven and a dissolution of the company, that baseball has to prepare itself that the other twelve teams that Diamond still has aired, um, even beyond the Diamondbacks and the Padres, has to be ready to carry them all. And we have a separate situation where the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Colorado Rockies are also sort of free agents. They've been previously on separate RSNs that Warner Brothers Discovery owned. Warner Brothers Discovery is getting out of the RSN business. And so they have their own decisions to make completely separate from the diamond mess. And so that's 16 teams. And uh, baseball rightly is preparing, could have a situation where literally have to take on the production and distribution for every single one of them. And it would continue on the model that it did 
successfully for Arizona and San Diego and standing up those games and getting them out on a, both a linear and a streaming fashion. And so it's just a, it's a preparation game at this point. The big questions going forward are how many of that 16 is actually going to be the number that baseball will be overseeing. And for those teams, what are the economics going to look like? And even Rob Manfred can't answer that question. And he's been asked that question, but it's tough to know because there's so many variables still at play right now. Sure. Yeah. And what I'm going to be watching for is baseball is going to, MLB is clearly going to be broadcasting some number of teams uh, going forward. And it won't be this emergency patch job like we right. had last year. What what do they want after that? Do they want a new RSN provider or are they at some point just going to say, you know, this is working okay. Let's just cut out the middleman. It's probably going to veer producer. towards the towards the latter because there's no new white knight coming in. Because given all of the uh, you know macro level issues across the media landscape beyond just sports media, but everything happening in and around cord cutting and so forth, you know who's going to come in as a scale RSN player in the way that Fox Sports did, and then they dumped the RSNs and Sinclair came in and and formed. Uh, the Diamond Sports Group situation, you know, there's no new entity at that sort of level and scale coming in. So baseball is thinking that it's going to either have to do this kind of patchwork job. And again, you can do it in a non-fire drill fashion, ideally, but it could be some sort of patchwork where they either sort of handle the situation themselves and continue to do so like it's doing for San Diego and Arizona or hand off a situation where it looks a little bit more like what the Arizona Coyotes, Utah Jazz, Phoenix Sun, some of these other teams and other sports are doing where they've also been rejected or have chosen to go their own way and are just cutting their own deals. And it's and it's sort of a one-to-one kind of situation. We could see a variety of scenarios in that overall bucket of options come to four. Yeah, that that model where you have a streaming service and then you have just a over-the-air provider that the, right. the Suns, the Jazz, the Coyotes, they're all doing, that's starting to make more and more sense, at least to me, as all this At least in the short forward. run. Um, yeah. Again, it, you know, unless and until some other white knight comes in, um, that that is the emerging reality. Yeah, absolutely. Eric Fisher, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. That's it for today. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and tell a friend about the show. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.